It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Simply Amazing. Tim Ryder from the Apple. Got a guest with us today, my friend Taryn Sharma. Uh, you might have heard him over at Conduct Detrimental. It's a podcast covering the, uh, I guess, the intersection of the sports world and the law world, which we'll be able to uh, expand a little bit on during the show today. Uh, Taryn's also been uh, employed by the Arizona Diamondbacks, the San Francisco Giants in their baseball operations department. So, of course, we'll have some questions in that area. Taryn, thank you so much for, uh, for joining the show, man. Oh, yeah, it's my pleasure, Tim. I uh, really enjoyed following along with you as you uh, grow your uh, your group and your writing is fantastic. And uh, having the access that you've been able to have recently to uh, the players on our favorite baseball team is uh, is amazing. So uh, it's been really exciting to follow along with. And I'm really uh, glad that you allowed me to take part in it today. Oh, Please, it's my pleasure, man. And, you know, just interacting on Twitter, we always have a good time. I said, oh, we have a couple of topics that you might be able to chime in on. Let's uh, let's go ahead and uh, and give it a whirl. And here we go. So uh, I guess right off the bat, I guess, you know, this is kind of fits right into the uh, the theme of what's going on right now. The Mets, um, obviously, the first item on their docket is filling the president of baseball operations vacancy. Uh you know, Sandy Alderson pretty much has made it clear he has no interest in, in continuing in that hands-on role. I'm sure the organization has their own uh, wishes to go ahead and kind of forge their own path. Uh, you know, Theo Epstein's already been kind of pushed out of the situation. Um, you know, in my opinion, it wasn't really a uh, the, the priority in my opinion, but you still have a couple of big fish out there in, in Billy Bean and, and David Stearns. And, uh, you know, do you think a well-regarded, established president of baseball operations is kind of still in the mix for this team? Uh, you know, I hope so. I think that first and foremost, what you want is somebody who wants the job, right? Um, <laughs> right. It, it seems like uh, the last two off seasons, we've been hearing about all these people that don't want the job and, uh, the media reporting on the the various complications that come with New York with uh, working for for Steve Cohen. So uh, it's got to be somebody who is wholeheartedly embracing those challenges first and foremost. Um, beyond that, you know, obviously all of those uh, all, all of the names that you mentioned are great great baseball minds. They've built great teams. Uh, Billy Bean, obviously, the, the narrative is wonderful and that he was drafted by the Mets. And this is sort of coming full circle if he were to come here. One thing that really intrigues me about that situation is uh, if he could then get Bob Melvin. I'm very impressed by Bob Melvin. Every year, seemingly, the, uh, the athletics have so much turnover. And year after year, they're always in contention. And I think part of that is just the tone that's being set in the clubhouse and Melvin must be responsible for that to a great extent. 
Um, I know that Billy Bean also has other interests, though. Uh, he, he's been involved in this uh, special purpose acquisition company, a SPAC, which has been all the rage over the last couple of years. Um, and, and they are nearing a deal with SeatGeek. So uh, I want somebody who's really solely focused on this job. Uh, so obviously, David Stearns would be a home run hire super well-educated, very young, energetic. He uh, He's had a lot of success in building a team in really a market where they haven't been able to spend a ton. So he's been getting a lot of uh, efficiency out of the players that they have been able to get. Um, their player development has been fantastic. Their trades have been, by and large, pretty good. Uh, the Adamas trade, most specifically, kind of turned their season around. And even though they haven't necessarily had the offense that they may have liked at some points it, it's been enough to go with the great pitching that they've had. And honestly, the Mets would have taken it at any point during uh, their struggles in the second half of the year. So uh, Stearns would be great. Um, the thing is that, as we know, the Mets tried for Stearns last year and were rebuffed by the uh, Brewers. I don't think that Brewers ownership has any desire to let go of what they know to be a, a really good uh, front office person in, in Stearns who is already running the show. So it's already going to be difficult for the Mets to give any sort of promotion. Uh, other names that I would be really interested to see the Mets take a look at, look, the, the Indians went 80 and 82 this year with pretty shoestring budget. They faced tons of injuries um, and they didn't have Terry Francona for, I think most, if not all of this season, I would be on the phone trying to get Chris Antonetti uh, to, to maybe look at an offer to be able to come over to, to New York. I would really like to see what Antonetti would do. But if you can't get Antonetti to bite, if the Indians don't want to let him go, if, uh, if they're not able to give him the promotion that would allow them to interview, uh, Mike Chernoff is from New Jersey. He played shortstop at Princeton. He's been in this GM role for six years now, and he was GM when they went to the World Series in 2016. And, and mind you, they made some really big trades down the stretch that year, uh, Andrew Miller being the most notable in order to go on that run. And, and they were really impressive that season, had a great young core, which they've now had to trade from as they got more expensive. But uh, I would really like to see what uh, – Chernoff's interest would be and and what he might be able to do with the budget that we think that uh, Steve Cohen is capable of providing this team. Yeah, and I think that's that's probably part of the allure that's going to be drawing potential candidates in is that, yeah, you, you, this isn't the, the Mets of the last ownership group. This isn't, um, you know, this is an organization with, by all, you know, by all accounts, um, eyes on the future and with you know, goals of bringing their organization up to snuff in, in every regard. And I think that really starts with this hiring, you know, I think like we both agree on experience is most definitely um, key here. You want someone who, who can take the keys and drive. And, and I think that anyone you mentioned, I I'm, I'm certainly um, intrigued by Antonetti. I, I think uh, also East coast base. Um, I believe he's from Connecticut. Uh, you know, if I get believe, I want to say him and Omar Minaya's 10 years in Montreal overlapped. 
I'm, I'm not a hundred percent on that, but um, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. I, I want to say Antonetti started in Montreal, but I'm not sure if their tenures overlapped, but you know, you, you would have to imagine that they're exploring all their avenues. I know that the, there was reports this week that uh, uh, Brandon Gomes in Los Angeles was being, um, I guess, tossed about as possibly more of a general manager hire. But, right. you know, you'd have to imagine that all these things are going to kind of fall as dominoes, I guess. Um, yeah. Do you think – I, I know? oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. And I saw Di Podesto was mentioned as well. Uh, he's a guy that has experience both in baseball and now with the Cleveland Browns in football. So that's another interesting name, uh, at least for somebody who's going to kind of maybe be a chief baseball officer, kind of an architect of a front office. Uh, uh, he um, he brought in Andrew Barry in Cleveland, who's done a fantastic job. So I, I would be interested to, to hear from them as well. Oh, for sure. Uh, I think, you know, if that, Truly is an option. I saw that report floating around on Twitter. I guess it was Sunday. And um, I guess the, the account that tweeted it out isn't necessarily a news outlet. So I was very hesitant to, to jump on it. But in theory, oh, I think that would be it. <laughs> that would be huge. Um, yeah. But, you know, he, he's of course, he has history with the organization here. He's got history with Sandy Alderson. Um, he, he recently did. I believe he re-signed um, or signed a contract extension to stay on as the chief strategy officer with the Browns. So mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure how, I guess, inclined he'd be to, to make that move. Right. You know, from, from, I guess, any reports or any interviews that he's done, he's very, it seems like he's really, really happy doing what he's doing. But if that's on the table, oh my goodness, that would be, that would be huge. Um, I'm curious yeah. to see, I know the Mets, um, when they hired Zach Scott, from the Red Sox, they had to uh, put a, I guess a, a stop on hiring any front office uh, people from the Red Sox organization. That expires <laughs> at the end of this offseason. Um, mm-hmm. Raquel Ferreira, who again in the Red Sox organization for going on, yeah. I think a little bit more than two decades, um, all the experience in the world has been towards the top of the the baseball operations. Um, a chain in Boston for some time now. I would, mm-hmm. you know, that personally, that's my pick. I think that she, that she has all of the um, the experience necessary. I think that she has the connections necessary. I think that would be a a, a truly um, a great hire. But yeah, again, you have to see if these little hurdles can be cleared. Yeah, I saw that you wrote that, and um, and I also think that that's a very interesting idea. It's definitely very uh, forward moving idea. I'm not sure what exactly her roles have been in that because uh, she's the assistant general manager, but I'm not sure exactly which yeah. parts of the operation she's overseeing, but that has been such a good organization for so long, as we know, under the uh, Fenway sports group. So anyone who's there has experience winning and, uh, and, you know, even this year, like that roster doesn't necessarily look great and they haven't been that great at certain times, but here we look, and they're up two games to one on uh, on a hundred win Tampa Bay club. <laughs> yeah, it's been a pretty fun postseason so far. Uh, I'm actually I have Milwaukee and Atlanta playing <laughs> playing on mute in the. Uh, I guess I could see it in my mirror in my office. Yeah. But, uh, you know, uh, it's it's somewhere that the Mets could should at least be striving to be. I think I wrote about it this week at the Apple. This is this should be all the motivation they need to kind of 
put the wheels in, in motion for what's to come. And that all really starts this winter. I mean, even past the front office decisions, which <laughs> there's going to be plenty, especially if they bring in a new president of baseball operations, um, you know, any analytics or, or R&D hires that they made over the last year, you know, everyone's going to kind of have to assimilate now. And that's fine. But then you get to the on-field decisions and, you, you know, you, you still have to hire a manager now. Um, we have a lot of the the existing core coming off of, a, a you know, a very tough season for a lot of these guys. And, um, right. you know, I guess some of the decisions being or some of the options being tossed around have gone from, you know, slight overturn to complete overhaul. So, you know, like I said before, it's kind of going to be dominoes. But um, I wanted to ask you about, because, again, this core had built themselves, built the value of themselves up over the last few years. And then this season, in most cases, that was degraded, you know, substantially. Yeah. Where, you know, where you have these varying ups and downs. You know, you were in baseball ops. You were in Arizona, San Francisco. Um and of course, when you go front office to front office or even just department to department, you have different, I guess you want to keep the, the, the ideals uniform, but everyone has different opinions of value, especially when you go organization to organization. But are there generalities? Like if you're just looking at this roster, unbiased, looking at, at Michael Conforto, well, Michael Conforto is a free agent now, so maybe like a Dominic Smith. Dominic Smith from, you know, 2019, 2020, even going back a little bit into 2018, um, really just hit, a, hit, hit another gear. He broke out, as you would say. And then 2020 comes and boom, you know, to, to the floor in most cases. He had a couple of nice um, peaks, but that, that was, for the most part, that was about it. Um, he, I believe MLB trade reference, uh, trade rumors has his arbitration number pegged at $4 million next year. You know, is this is this a guy who are you looking to trade him based on last year? And not just Dom Smith, just in general, someone who, who did have such a dramatic, a dramatic fall off. Is this, you know, how sh how would a team that you were overseeing handle something like this? Are you going to start shipping off these these guys who are under contract for the next two, three years in some cases who have track records? Or is it like, hey, you know let's let's just go ahead and, and start fresh yeah so may, maybe the teams that i worked for aren't the best example because both teams lost uh like 98 games when i was working <laughs> for them but but the year after i left arizona they had more or less the same core that they did in 2016 but sometimes a, a fresh voice coming in sometimes a, a a fresh look from a player development perspective really helps these guys I would not move the the guys that you mentioned. Uh, I'm thinking about McNeil also. Sure. I, I, you talk about the the East Coast Dodgers, right? Like that was what Steve Cohen said that that he wanted the Mets to be the East Coast Dodgers. What do the Dodgers do really well? It's not that the Dodgers go out and they buy all the players. Obviously, their financial power allows them to trade for a Mookie Betts, knowing that they're going to be able to pay the money to re-sign him to that mega extension, right? But mm -hmm. The Dodgers also find guys and their own guys, and they, they develop them. So now we look at San Francisco this year. A, a lot of those guys are – they look like they should be 
experiencing the biggest downturns of their careers. Right. In fact, uh, guys like Posey and Crawford, Belt, it looked like their the the prime years of their careers were over, and a, a couple of small changes, and they're suddenly carrying this team to 107 wins. That in a, in a revamped uh, pitching core, but even with the pitching core, right? It's um, Logan Webb, who I think had an ERA north of five. Uh, I'm not sure what the uh, advanced metrics were on it, but not great uh, performance in, in limited duties over the last couple of years. And then this year, his slider is elite. Oh, and he's been phenomenal. Oh, right? my goodness, so, nasty. So I, I would really hope that the Mets don't give up on uh, on these young on these young younger players they're not at the age where you say on the aging curve they're necessarily going to be falling off anyway so i'd like to see what they can do to at least rehabilitate their value but more importantly contribute a couple right. other factors are are in play there with uh with the front office people out Obviously, you're always impressed with, uh, you know, people who are in the player procurement. Their um, their algorithms can show you which players you should be targeting. But I was always uh, almost more impressed with the people that were working with player development to use numbers to improve the, the talent that's already on the roster. That is the biggest thing that I think that the Mets need to be looking for in anybody who's going to be heading up their front office is somebody that has at least some experience with player development. There are good players on this major league roster and, and some of them have just kind of lost their way. So I want to see McNeil getting back to being uh, a gap to gap hitter who can, um, you know, occasionally get a hold of one. And and I want to see Dom Smith be, uh, you know, a, a, a doubles guy and, and somebody who's going to hit for, for game power. Uh, and, and, we got to figure out why exactly that didn't happen this year. And psychologically, I think that this, the past couple of years have been very difficult for um, everybody. And that includes these players. So I'd like to see, uh, you know, if things continue to get better that, um, you know, maybe next season is better for them. And then, you know, if it's not, you're going to know, uh, at least in the midway point of the season. And then you can start talking about, you know, blowing it up uh, and, and dumping those salaries. But I, I would really like to see whether 2019 was an aberration and, and, or, or whether 2021 was the aberration because uh, uh, you know, I, I think that these guys have a lot of talent. Sure. And if they, I mean, you can look up and down this, the, the arbitration list this year and, and, and say, wow, there's a lot of talent there. And I think, you know, when all said and done, I believe the estimates have them around 50 million in arbitration money. And yeah, that puts a nice dent in, in, in payroll. Um, you also have to assume that there's going to be a little bit of tinkering there. You know, from what we've heard from JD Davis so far, I guess, since the season's been out, there's been a couple of quotes come out and Neither of them are all that flattering about the situation inside the clubhouse. And yeah. uh, I think he said it himself that he he's, you know, it's looking like he's out of here. And, you know, honestly, I, I like J.D. Davis as a player. I think his bat is terrific. I think there's work to be done defensively. But in a D.H. type spot or even in a bench role in an international league team, well, there'll be a D.H. spot everywhere next year. We'll get to that 
after the break, by the way. Um, You know, I think there's certainly going to be opportunities for him to land on his feet. But again, though these levels of kind of tinkering, like oh, you know, let's let's cut cut bait on on this guy or that guy. But I, I do. I, I am also a proponent of keeping this core somewhat together, and I think I've said it on the show in the past. Maybe not all of these guys are quote unquote starting caliber players on a um, on a World Series title team. You know, granted, yet yeah, Dom Smith is not a left fielder, and he started really yeah. really good job of of kind of settling in out there and is more than playable. I believe he was just, just under, under average um, with regards to um, OAA on StatCast. I believe he finished the year at negative two out there. And that's <laughs> considering he's a first baseman. That's not that bad. Um, yeah. Jeff he's McVay- hitting. Oh, I'm sorry. And, no, sorry, sorry to, to talk. No, over no, you, no. Stop. If, uh, no, if Dom is hitting, that's more than, more than playable. I agree with you. No, for sure. And like you were saying, you know, I think I want to say that some people maybe were um, sucked in by because Dom did have a power surge from 2019, 2020. He's hitting a lot more home runs than especially than he was in the minors. Um, you know, if he settles in to be a 20 homer, 30, 40 double guy, that's great because he's hitting 280. And, and, you know, when Dom is right, he's still very, very, very much a positive uh, asset. For, for any team that he's on. And with now he, now he has defensive versatility and, you know, with a DH even more so. And I think that's mm-hmm. kind of how Jeff McNeil fits into things. Like, you know, he can give you average to above average defense at, what, three different positions. Uh, before this season, he had the highest batting average in the majors, if, if that's your thing out there, <laughs> um, for, yeah. you know, since his debut. He, you know, he's, again, most certainly a, a difference maker. He brings a... Uh, a net positive by far to the table when he's right. I, I, I'm just not one to start cutting bait on these guys now. Um, you know, but the, the new regime's certainly going to have uh, their hands full with these, I guess, types of decisions. What I'm curious, what are your thoughts on Michael Conforto? I know, I mean, as far as him accepting stuff like that, that's going to be a decision for him and Boris to make. And that's going to be a, a doozy because, <laughs> you know, his values plummeted. And do you take your long-term money now? Do you bet on yourself? But I guess I kind of want to hear your takeaway on, um, on the situation, I guess, from a, a, the other side of the table, as you might say. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and, and to your point about McNeil first, I, I liked what you said on your previous podcast with, Mark Healy about him being a super utility guy. I think that he is the perfect kind of Chris Taylor Swiss army knife guy that you want to have to be able to plug into these, these various roles. Um, so yeah, I, I really liked that. As far as Conforto goes, I, I almost think that I, I like the idea of moving Nimmo to a corner and, and signing a, uh, an everyday center fielder or trading for one a little bit better. I think uh, Conforto throughout his career has shown to be a really streaky hitter. Uh, when he's right, he's really dangerous. Um, but I'm, I'm not sure how much that's going to cost. And uh, the other guys at, as part of the core, they're are eligible right now, but they're going to, to get expensive as, uh, as time goes on um, in the next couple of years. So I, uh, I know that there's no salary cap or anything like that, but I wouldn't want the front office to be hamstrung 
by uh, a big contract, especially if, um, you know, it, it turns out that he's going to be on the low end of his, his, uh, on the low end of his like pe- pendulum swing that he's sure. had throughout his career. Yeah. Like if he doesn't swing back and you're locked yeah. in for 20 million a year for the next four yeah. or five years, you know, that could, well, again, for a big market team, it might not be that big of a pill to swallow, but right. again, for a team with visions of really taking things to the next level. Yeah. If you got a, a, a two twenty you know, high seven, low 800s OPS guy kind of weighing you down. It, it's, um, it hamstrings thing. That's a really good way to put it. We're going to take yeah. a really quick I, break. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. So I, and, and just one more thing about Conforto. I, I like yeah. Conforto. I think he's a, a good fielder. And I think part of the thing that, that all of us really liked about the, the, the 2019 team is that so many of them were homegrown and Conforto came up during that 2015 pennant run too. So I think, for a lot of us, he has, it gives us good memories of that time, um, but I, I don't, I don't want the front office to break the bank over it. Yeah, no, I think if the team is willing to come in at five one twenty five, it's Mike. We we wish you the best. I think I said that word for word last week. My apologies, yeah. guys. Real quick, we're going to take a break. Hear from our sponsors. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. And welcome back once again. We are here with our buddy Taryn Sharma. Um, If you're not familiar with the podcast, uh, Conduct Detrimental, you can find that anywhere you listen to podcasts. It's really, really entertaining. Those guys have a lot of fun over there. Everybody has a lot of fun over there. And uh, we're talking about a little bit of everything. We talked about the front office. We talked about, I guess, internal valuation of your roster of all that fun stuff. And boy, we're going to have to do a part two on a lot of this. But uh, before <laughs> we close out, I did want to ask you, buddy, about the upcoming CBA, because before anything else can happen, uh, that that sort of has to be worked out. And I guess from my point of view, it seems like nobody really wants to cross the bridge of a work stoppage. I think it would just be a black eye on the game right now. And, and nobody needs that from players or, or league standpoint, but I guess what, 
what are the parameters? What, what, what should we be expecting? Should we be expecting something really a nasty fight or, or is, do you think this is going to be easily worked out? Do you think these sides have ideas of what they want coming into this besides, yeah. I guess, besides the obvious? Tim, when has baseball ever made anything easy? <laughs> uh, I, I don't think it's going to be easy. Uh, the, the baseline that everyone should know is that on December 1st, the collective bargaining agreement is going to expire. So they've been in talks since uh, this summer in earnest. And uh, I, Tim, do you remember the 94 strike? I was yes. one, so I don't. Oh, yes. But, I, I was I was 11, um, but still a very like yeah. a, a rabid baseball fan. So, yeah, I, I mean, again, I, I felt that crushing blow as a rabid 11 year old baseball fan for sure. Yeah. And so did that affect your consumption of the game going forward then? No, 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 no. I oh, okay. waited. I waited. I counted the days until it came back. And when it came back, I was right back into it. But a lot of the country wasn't. Right. Yeah. And and I think that in the case of a lot of people, it took almost until the the big home run chase in, uh, what was that, 98, uh, um, for, for people to come back all the way, right? Uh, well, I, I like to, to kind of hang that on Cal Ripken breaking um, Lou Gehrig's record that mm. that really sparked it that you know you cut into your evening news or your evening sitcoms on ABC they cut into it and put it on it was all it was really important stuff and I think that kind of got things going and then you know 98 was uh was awesome I mean we all yeah. I I was what 15 I knew what mm -hmm. was happening I, you yeah. know we we had all read about um, you know, the Andro in, in, in McGuire's locker, but still mm -hmm. it was, it was entertainment. And I guess that, that turned me into a bit of a cynicist because it's mm -hmm. like, Oh, well, you know, you kind of saw behind the curtain, but it was still kind of fun. So you said, oh, mess. you know, I guess forget it. Let's just right. have a good time. But um, right. you don't want to have to climb that mountain again. Right. No, absolutely not. And, and I think that actually, you know, for so many years, baseball is, taking this heat over not marketing the young stars. Finally, they are. We've got Tatis. We've got Otani. We've got Soto. And and it's really great for the game that, that kids can see these guys and see the, the flair and the fun that they play with, the, the pure, like, childlike joy. And it would be a real shame for baseball to lose that. But the fact is that Money is going to be the, the primary determinant here. And so that gives me serious fears about uh, a lockout. And at, at the very least, I do think that this is going to go past the deadline. I, I would be surprised if they reach the agreement before December 1st, but it would be a very pleasant surprise if they did. Now that kind of, you know, puts a crimp on the rest of the off season. If things yeah. can't, if things can't get resolved, you know, quickly um you know i guess things don't really start heating up a whole bunch until after the winter meetings anyway or during the winter meetings and mm -hmm. um you know pushing all of that back and then you know let's say you go into the new year the new calendar year um with you know just maybe getting your 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 wheels rolling in the off season you know, nobody wants to head into spring training with a laundry list of, st of stuff still left to do. No, definitely not. And, and like you said, that is going to affect everything because that's that's the difference whether you have um, 
you know, if there are any new time-saving rules that they want to put in, those would come in during these discussions. If the NL is going to have the DH, that would happen during these discussions. And so you asked about the parameters earlier, uh, and I, I want to make sure that I do a good job of, of responding to that. So from the, the owner's perspective, what they're looking for is the greatest amount of cost certainty possible. And if you look specifically arbitration, is a source of cost uncertainty. So when there's cost certainty, meaning the owners know how much they're going to have to spend on a year-to-year basis, Mm -hmm. that means that their franchise values are going to go up. And we don't have to look any further than the NBA franchise values. The NBA, before the salary cap came in, was really struggling as a league. But once they got the salary cap, then... Uh, the value of each individual franchise has increased so much and now it's billions of dollars each. And that would, you know, that would happen in baseball too, but I think it's a terrible deal for the players. What the owners have have leaked is that they suggested a $1 billion pre-arbitration pool, which would be tied then to future revenue. That is in essence a cap. It's more of a cap than the soft cap that we have right now with the luxury tax. They've also leaked that they want to they want to create a salary floor, but then they want to have a much lower threshold for the luxury tax. And they want the luxury tax uh, to be a, a greater percentage. So the, the lower uh, uh, the luxury tax is and the greater the uh, the percentage that they're going to charge on every dollar over that threshold, the more of a chilling effect you have upon the owner spending money. If you look right now, a lot of the teams are kind of concentrated right below that luxury tax number. Every year around the uh, the trade deadline, what do we hear about? Are we going to go past the luxury tax? Are we going to go over or are we not going to go over? So the owners are already kind of treating this as a cap. And so, therefore, the, the front office has to treat it that way as well. Right. So uh, th- those are the, the kind of really big sticking points right now. I think the players are trying to look for a way to – get the, the, the number of years that a player would have to play for uh, service time to elapse to be lower than the current six years. Um, and uh, this deal that they suggested with the pre-arb pool, they, all, they, they also suggested, uh, the owners did, universal free agency at 29 and a half years old. So that would be good for a guy like Aaron Judge. He would be a free agent this offseason instead of next offseason. But it would be terrible for a guy like Soto, who would then be under team control for basically 10 and a half years, if you consider that he came up when he was 19. So I think there's still so much to be worked out. The only things that we've heard so far are the things that they want us to hear. And they're supposed, you know, they're leaked on purpose. It's supposed to make one side or another look good. Like, look how magnanimous the owners are, that they want to do this $1 billion pool. Currently, I think that uh, the arbitration pool uh, for for those players is uh, maybe like seven hundred million dollars, so it is an increase over that. Uh, but yeah, there's so much to be worked out, Tim, and, and that's what uh, that that makes me nervous. Um, I really hate for the baseball season to be uh, to be pushed back. Yeah, I think that's the last again the the last scenario they want to play out is a season being shortened, um, even being jeopardized. Uh, of, of coming that close. It just, it, it puts such a, uh, 
a, a nasty shine on whatever this, you know, this, this is a beautiful sport. It's a beautiful game. And, you know, it's, it's just so simple. And at times it's made so difficult to, uh, to enjoy, but, you know, I did have a question if, you know, if let's say the, uh, the de facto cap were in place, what about teams like Tampa Bay who, who can operate? And then again, they, they've done, I use this term loosely, a good job. <laughs> and in realistically, they've done, you know, player development and getting the most out of their guys. They've done a phenomenal job, but I'm quick to praise it just because of, you know, the, the situation they're in, you know, from a, from a front office standpoint, yes, you know, they've done, um, an unprecedentedly good job of putting yeah. a winner out there from an ownership standpoint. And again, you know, being in Tampa, as we've seen, can't be easy. You can barely fill a stadium and it has to be the postseason to do so pretty much. Um, do you see a, a, a salary floor being implemented there? Like, you know, for, and, and we know the usual suspects here, but it, it's Tampa Bay is really a, um, I guess it's a, it's a tricky a very unique situation just because they're able to do so well, but they're, you know, I I believe, you know, only the pirates had a lower active payroll than this season. Yeah. So you, you bring up an interesting point, uh, good from the front office, front office perspective, but uh, I have some friends, not that are Tampa Bay fans, but they're Oakland fans. And that's pretty similar situation. And they're, I, I don't think that that's like the most fun team to follow. It's not that they haven't had success. Arguably they've had just as much success as the Mets have, but the idea that you don't know who's going to be on the roster from year to year, the idea that a a guy like Marcus Simeon, who's from the Bay area um, could, you know, they balk at at spending the, the qualifying offer on him. And, and then he goes and, what sets the second base home run record for a really fun Toronto team. That's going to be tough. So good from a front office perspective, but not something that I would necessarily want to follow as a fan. Um, The salary floor, the hundred million dollar salary floor that was uh, that, that is supposed to be um, proposed by the the major league owners. uh, There was some interesting phrasing in there. They said that that would be paid for by the, the lower luxury tax threshold. And I'm not sure exactly what that means. Like if it's a salary floor, then just make them spend a hundred million dollars. What's the, <laughs> the issue there? But uh, paid for makes me think that they're going to be compensating the teams that don't want to spend over a hundred million dollars. I, I, I'm not exactly sure. So that would be something interesting to, to know about. I think seven teams would have been below that hundred million dollar mark this year. And that does uh, affect the number of good major league jobs that are out there. And it also affects the, uh, you know, every day as a minor leaguer that you spend in the, uh, in the big leagues, that's, that's a big, that's a big pay bonus that you're not getting at the, at the minor league level. So um, it affects all of those people. It's not just the people that we think of being on the 25 man roster. Um so yeah, again, there's there's so much to be sorted out, and and that's why I'm really trying to enjoy this postseason a, 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 as much as possible. I'm really very nervous about what is uh, what is coming next because I'm not sure how close they are to an agreement, and we might not know until right before one is signed. But I would I would hate for the players to to give up too much, and 
because, you know, I, I, I want them to be well. They're the ones that are putting their bodies on the line. Right. Right. And that's kind of how this it's how this motor goes. And the closer they get to that deadline, and even if they go past it, the closer they get to player uh, pitchers and catchers reporting, it, the, the, the more and more leverage the players lose. I know that it kind of evens out because the owners will be the ones losing money in the long run, but it just... They're way more able to, to yeah, bear the brunt of that, right? They can absorb that. Yeah, it's, yeah. Um, it's who can outlast who. And, and then, you know, the players... You know, together, sure, they they are a a a well off group, but uh, they're not like the like thirty major league baseball owners, and and that's no, uh, it, it's it, just uh, not an enviable position, I think, to be. Oh, I was uh, in either side's shoes right now, but uh, you know, if I was having to choose between the two, I'd much rather be an owner. It'd oh, be way Oh, of course. And, you know, and, and, if, and they always they'll get the brunt of, of fans and and uh, and people who see it for what it is. And that's justified. And you know what? If I had billions of dollars, I'd say, oh, I'd be pissed off, too. You know, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, I guess that's just the, the way of the world is as messed up as it is. Oh, good. Good for us for keeping it PG today. I don't think I cursed <laughs> once. Good for us. Taryn, um, before we go, uh, you know, fill me in on conduct. I'll fill everybody in on conduct detrimental a little bit. What are you guys uh, doing on, on that end? Yeah, thank you so much. Um, so, conduct detrimental is a, a podcast group. We have a, a website, and we really pride ourselves on being at the intersection of sports and law. We have a uh, we're covering the uh, St. Louis trial uh, against the NFL. They're suing the NFL, the Rams franchise, and Rams owner Stan Kroenke in uh, St. Louis Circuit Court. Um, that trial is supposed to kick off in January. There's uh, been some legal developments that we've been covering in a three-part podcast series. It's two attorneys, Dan Lust and Dan Wallach. Dan Wallach is a, uh, a sports betting guru. Dan Lust is like a do-it-all, um, and he... Uh, they're, they're both litigators and they have great perspective on on sports law and they're they're gracious enough to let me come on sometimes and be able to to do what I'm doing with you today. Um, and we have a website. It's conductdetrimental.com. And uh, we have a newsletter that I've been writing that goes out every week on Fridays and you can sign up through our website. Um, would love for uh, whoever's interested to check it out. Uh, feel free to reach out if you'd like to write uh, um, anything that's in that sort of uh, realm for our website. And uh, thanks so much, Tim. I, I really appreciate the time. Um, where should I send my invoice for the 50 to $100 appearance fee? <laughs> oh, you can send it right over to what's his name. <laughs> oh, gosh. And now, now, like you put me on the spot. Now I can't remember his name. Oh, Dan Clark? Dan Clark. Send it to the yeah. send it to Dan Clark. Oh, damn. You set me up, too, and I whiffed. My goodness. <laughs> I knew where you were going with it, too. And I'm like, inside my head, I'm like screaming like, oh, God, what is his name? <laughs> uh, it happens. It happens. Taryn, um, do you have a pick for a World Series winner? I'm sure I know we're only in the in the divisional rounds right now, but anyone yeah. jumping out to you? Well, I'd love for the Giants to win, but I, I think it's going to be the Dodgers. Uh, I think I, I picked Dodgers over Astros in six. Okay. I had Milwaukee, Chicago, and I'm not looking good right now. So <laughs> we, we, yeah. we, shall, we shall see. Um, everybody, yeah. if, if you're not following Taryn on Twitter, 
It's T-K Sharma Law. That's T-K-S-H-A-R-M-A-L-A-W on Twitter. Uh, of course, as we said, the uh, the podcast is Conduct Detrimental. The Twitter page there is Con Detrimental and uh, available anywhere you listen to podcasts. And uh, you'll see the links for the website and stuff on the on the page there. And Taryn, um, I can't thank you enough for coming and, and kind of filling us in on the, the gaps that we don't really, <laughs> we're not all that well versed in, man. Like, you know, you show me a, a Fangraphs page or something, I'm in. But boy, once it gets to the CBA stuff, I'm just like, uh, <laughs> oh, you have to hire a president <laughs> of baseball operations? Cool, hire the best one. <laughs> No, you're, uh, what you're doing is awesome, Tim. And I, I love listening and I love reading your, uh, your writing. It's fantastic. And I'm happy to come back anytime you'll have me. Uh, thank you so much, man. And most definitely we'll have you back very soon. Uh, everybody, you, you heard us list off everywhere. You could find Taryn's work. Uh, you know where to find us. We will be back next week. Uh, we have guests literally lined up through the uh through the month of october so look out for that and uh you know the sign off let's fucking go mets there's my curse we'll see you guys next time peace Let's go!